0: The following message was preached at Redeemer Community Church. For more information about Redeemer, visit us online at www.redeemernc.org.
1: Today's sermon text is Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Over the last few years, I've taken time most mornings to read a psalm. I take it for a week, read it, pray over it, and just meditate on it. This has been a refreshing thing for my prayer life. But as we thought about whether we should head to Rock Hill, and when we finally made that decision, I was working my way through psalms, and I got to Psalm 84. I reached Psalm 84, and I got stuck there. For about three months now, I've almost every morning, read Psalm 84, prayed about it, and meditated on it. So today, on Redeemer's 13th birthday, I wanted us to take some time to walk together through Psalm 84. You see, the Apostle Paul told the church in Thessalonica that he always prayed they would be worthy of the calling that they had received. That sums up what I hope for us as we look at this psalm today, that we would be worthy of the call. You see, Redeemer is made up of people who are called by God. But how do we live worthy of that calling that we've already been given, individually and corporately? I think the key today is it has to do with what we long for. The human life is all about longings, desires. The very first people God created chose their own desires over God's. The result, they had to go out of God's presence, out of the perfect garden where they dwelled with Him. They began a journey that took them farther from God, and they lived for their own longings. But it didn't stop God. He reached out through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Moses, Joshua. He even had the Israelites build a tabernacle and then a temple, a place where He would come and meet with them. He desired to be. With the people he created. But most people longed for their own way over God's. This is still true today, right? God reaches out to people, but they refuse to turn to him. But that should not be true of his people, right? In Psalm 84, we see how longing for God should lead us to living for him. Let's begin in verses 1 and 2. And also look at verse 10 to see the deep longing that this psalmist calls us to for God. Verse 1, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts! I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out to the living God. Better a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be at the door of the house of my God than to live in the tents of wicked people. The writer begins the psalm by telling us how his longing is all-encompassing. It's everything. In ancient times, those Jewish people would go to the temple to worship God. The temple was where God met man. When the writer says, how lovely is your dwelling place, it could better be understood as, I love your dwelling place. What is it that he loves about the temple? Well, he loves meeting with God. He continues by saying he longed and yearned for the courts of the Lord. His heart and flesh cried out to the living God. The heart is all that's within him, all that's deep within us, and the flesh being everything that we can see. He wants so badly to be with God that every part of him cries out. It's as if he's sick with longing. He's longing for a God, and it's all-encompassing. I remember during college working for a construction company for a summer. And on a 90 plus degree day, it was hotter than today, I promise, because waterproofing hadn't properly been laid on the home. I had to go dig a shovel-wide ditch around the back of the home so it could be corrected. Well, when I arrived, I realized there was a two-foot deck above that place. And what's more, whoever had laid the foundation or the the waterproofing as I began to dig, I realized they were about four to six feet short of where they should have been. So there I was on my belly digging a trench that was one foot wide by six feet deep under a two-foot porch. I've thought about this as I prepared this. I actually think they wanted me to quit, but that's a whole other story. And I did, actually. But many of you know that I love tea. I mean, a cold glass of tea is awesome, but when lunchtime came that day, I cannot ever remember wanting a glass of tea more. I longed and yearned for it. My heart and flesh cried out for it. In that moment, my desire for that tea was all-encompassing. I know I should have drunk water, but it was still all-encompassing. The writer, though, wanted God. He wants God in the way that I was wanting that tea. He's yearning and longing for God. But then the psalm ends in verse 10 or near the end by revealing how his longing leads to sacrifice. He says he would trade one day for a thousand. Why? He's willing to be the doorkeeper instead of the occupant. Why? Well, we all have a person that we love to spend time with and a place probably that we love to go For instance, if you gave me 24 hours with Kate in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, I would be on cloud nine. I'm not suggesting you do that for us, but if that's your joy, whatever. But I love her, and I love the place. But what if you gave us an all-expense-paid trip, but you said, okay, here's the deal. You've got to clean my house every day for the next three years. Or what if you told me we could go, but for that day we had to sweep the streets and clean the bathrooms, Would I want to be in Blowing Rock that much? Do I long to be with Kate that much? I want to say yes about Kate. I'm just afraid somebody will ask me to clean their house even for one day. Um, And actually, you should be afraid if you want me to clean your house as well. But the reason 1,000 is better than one and being a doorkeeper is better than the occupant is who the time is spent with and who the position is given up for. He's willing to give up two of the most important things that human beings cling to, time and position, so that he can be in God's presence. His longing is revealed in his willingness to sacrifice. In our day, we don't go to the temple, but we have God's Spirit dwelling in us, working through us as Christians. Each one of us is a temple, and we have a front row seat to meet the God. Of the universe each day. Is our desire to be with God and meet with Him all encompassing, though? Do we sacrifice what we want in our day for what He desires? Tough question. Do we even ask Him what He desires of our day, even if it's not what we planned, so that we can be worthy of His call to us? But do you realize that we, as the church, are the temple of God? What should that mean about how I think when we gather? More often than not, I plan way more and get more excited about a vacation than I do about gathering with God's people. Maybe you do too. Here's the question. Is that right? Is our preparation all-encompassing and sacrificial when it comes to meeting with our brothers and sisters? Consider what it should look like. You see, meeting with God's people gives us a tiny glimpse, a droplet into what it will look like when we get to heaven and reach the God of the universe at the end of time. Do we see the gathering of the church as more beautiful, more wonderful than the mountains or the ocean or the lake? Some of you are probably thinking, that's silly, Russ. Why would you do that? It's not silly the gathering of the church is more beautiful because it reminds us of where we're going and who we're going to. And we should be sacrificial and all-encompassing in our longing for it. Which gets us to the ultimate and final place where God dwells. He is in heaven where the journey should take us. Do we long to be in God's presence at the end of time? Do we ask God to reveal more of himself to us here so that our view of heaven increases? Imagine for a minute that you're one of those travelers headed to Jerusalem. Son, son, look. Over there, that speck on the hill, that's Jerusalem. And a few days later, and your son says, Daddy, is is that glow? Is that the top of the temple? Slowly you journey and you walk and you get closer and closer and your view of Jerusalem, your view of the temple increases. You would arrive exhausted, but you would be in the place where God dwells. Do you realize it should be the same with us? As we walk towards God, toward the heavenly city, it should become all-encompassing and get larger and larger. We are more and more willing to sacrifice to get there. But fast forward a bit. Hundreds of years after this psalm was written, God sent His Son Jesus as a man to earth. Jesus' longing for God was all-encompassing. The Bible tells us zeal for God's house consumed Him. Jesus was constantly going into desolate places, deserts, to pray and be with the God of the universe, his Father. Jesus loved God more than any of us ever will. So he sacrificed time and position to be with God while on earth. But here's the crazy part. He also sacrificed time and position with God to be with us. Jesus showed us what it should look like to have an all-encompassing and sacrificial desire for God and His people. But why should we long for this God to begin with? Why is He worth it? The writer tells us we should long for Him because He explains His character. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Even a sparrow finds a home, and a swallow a nest for herself, where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God, How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Verse 3 calls God the Lord of hosts, and it happens four times in this psalm. So it seems it's important. When we hear Lord of hosts, we should understand that he's saying God is the leader of infinite angel armies. Let's think of it this way today. The God of the Bible is a mighty warrior king. But why would I want to be around a warrior king? I mean, is that somebody I would really want to hang with day to day? I mean, really, I figure if I do something wrong, my head's coming off. And I couldn't even keep the construction job. So why am I going to want to be around this God of the universe? It doesn't make sense. If that's all the writer gave us, but it isn't. Look at verse 3. It gives us more. It tells us that the warrior king welcomes tiny birds to live and nest in his dwelling place. What do we do with that? Well, think of it like this. Imagine you're the soldier of an army, and you're not just any soldier. You are the king's right-hand man, and you're headed to battle. Throngs of soldiers in front of you, you on your white horse right beside the king on his white horse. You know you're going to win because you are the most powerful army. There's no question, and you're headed to battle. And then all of a sudden, the king stops everybody, and he gets off his horse, and he reaches down, and he, he, he bends over. You're thinking, all right, he's about to give us the speech, the victory speech, and we're going to go out and we're going to whip the enemy. Freedom, right? We're going to get this. And then all of a sudden, he calls you down off of, his horse, off of your horse and he says, come here a second. And as you come, you see something move in his hand. It's a tiny bird with a broken wing. He speaks to you softly. He says, this little one is mine. It's from my courts. Take it back to the castle and make sure it's cared for. And you start to bring an argument because you're ready to battle. But the warrior king looks you in the eye and says, Now, please, what would you think of the king in that moment? You see, the God of the Bible is the king of greatest might, but with the softest touch. He leads an army of angels, but he cares for the tiniest Bird. Since he cares for that bird, brothers and sisters, he cares for those who are his. That is the God the writer is describing, a king of infinite power and infinite compassion. You see, the God who is being written about is gentle. The gentle but mighty warrior king is all-powerful and all-loving. So he is worthy to be longed for above anything else. Verse 11 and 12 give us more character traits, though, of this warrior king. God is a sun and shield. What does the sun do for us? It brings light, warmth, growth. When the writer calls God a sun, he's pointing to the fact that the gentle warrior king cares for us. What about a shield? Well, the king also protects. Those who are his are cared for and safe in his hands. God also gives grace and glory. Grace is unmerited blessing, something we didn't do anything for, but we are still blessed. I'd like you to think of glory here as unmerited honor. Honor that you did nothing to deserve. It brings to mind Ephesians to me. Ephesians chapter 2. But remember how the writer mentions he would be glad just to be at the door of God's courts? It doesn't matter where you are in God's courts. He bestows honor on those who are there. And verse 11 ends by telling us that God, in case we missed it, gives everything good to the person who walks with integrity. One who has an all-encompassing and sacrificial longing for God will walk with integrity. Their actions, thoughts, and words will all point to God, as Don mentioned last week, and God will bless them. So the longing of the writer is to live in the presence of the gentle warrior king who protects and cares, who gives blessing and honor. In light of that, look back at verses 4 and 12 one more time. How happy are those who reside in your house, who praise you continually. Happy is the person who trusts in you, Lord of hosts. Those who live with God and worship God, who trust Him with their lives, are happy. Brothers and sisters, there's joy in the presence of the Lord. This character of God should lead us to long for him and to be with him. So where do you fail to see God's character? Where do I fail? Do we fail to recognize his might? What about his gentleness, his care, his generosity, his faithfulness? When we fail, To see God's character correctly, we will fail to desire him fully. You see, he is the gentle warrior king. See him as that. But fast forward again to the words of Jesus years later. Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is the man who allows us to enter into God's presence. But he's more. You see, He is God come to earth. Jesus is described in the Bible as the Lion of Judah, a mighty and powerful warrior king. But He's also described as the Lamb of God, gentle and meek. Jesus, God made man, is the mighty but gentle warrior king who came to earth to show us the way to God. However, like Israel, all of us, If we long to be with the gentle warrior king, we'll live for him. We will live for him. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Verses 4 and 12 say that happiness comes from being in God's presence. In verse 5, we learn that happiness comes as we receive His strength. But that isn't it. When the verse says, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage, the psalmist is telling us that the strength is for a specific purpose. We are to live for God, not sit. Then and now, God's people go to God, in God's strength. So the psalmist tells us we have joy because we have strength for the journey to God. And we have joy when we get to God. Joy on the road and joy upon arrival. Praise the Lord for that blessing. Now when I say I got stuck on Psalm 84 a few months ago, I really got stuck on verse 6. I love the word picture the psalmist gives us In this verse Now the valley of Baca Could have been an actual place Or it may not have been That's debatable But it is representative of a broken place A valley of tears But what we see is that God provides water In that barren place He provides rain in that barren place As God's people travel into the hard places He provides strength for their journey As they live for Him Now, the journey looks different for us, but the concept is the same. As we live for God, He will bring strength to us for the journey. Did you know that about 100,000 Christians die for their faith each year? Millions more live in poverty and in danger to their lives because they follow the God of the Bible. We have struggles as well, though not maybe as heavy. But the journey is not easy. However, even in the midst of the most difficult valley, God brings strength to his people as they journey towards him, as they live for him. But notice in verse 6 that the pronoun there is they. The implication here is that we don't walk along. God provides strength in many different ways. For instance, Earlier I mentioned His Holy Spirit, His Spirit which is pouring strength into us day by day, and we must have that, that river of life. But another way that I want us to think about is through His church. So what are some ways that God would have us as a church be strength for one another so that we walk worthy of Him? Well, for one thing, we should remember what He has done and remind each other of those things. God had His people do that in the Old Testament because we so easily forget God's goodness. So it's good to remember. Here's a few that I just jotted down quickly over the last, the last 13 years. A short time into our existence, this is going to sound similar, we lost access to the high school. We were homeless. And we couldn't find a place. But within a week, God provided the middle school. Hasn't He continued to provide a place to meet? We survived brutal heat, that one isn't new either, and cold to empty a trailer every week to set up and work hard. And men and women continue to do that now. I was sitting there remembering so many children that are in that preschool class. Yes, you young people who are about 18, I'm that person right now. I remember when they were this big and now they're walking with Christ and serving Him. He's given us an opportunity to plan and partner with churches. It started with Wisconsin, but now we've planted one in Sanford. There's New York, Minnesota, South Carolina. He's allowed us to partner with other churches and people in other nations and countries to see the gospel spread to the nations. What if we began to be a people who remember and reminded? What if it was just natural when we got together? I really thought about this. What if every time you got in community group, okay, we got to remember what's God done? Give me five things. What if that became our natural bent? What would that do for us? You see, God gives strength as we remember and remind each other of His goodness along the road to Him. But also, we need to call out and to carry. See, if you're having a tough time keeping up, call out to someone. Look, if we're walking down the road in Jerusalem and you're limping, I know, okay, i got to help them out. But sometimes it's harder to do in our situation. We should still ask how others are doing. Ask that question and probe as Don's talked about. But what about those of us right now hiding hurts? What about hidden sin struggles? What about those of us right now who are thinking of walking away from the faith altogether because we're so discouraged? I am confident that each one of those situations, there's someone sitting here like that right now. I know it's hard to ask. Rejection is possible, but I don't think it'll happen. Find someone and call out for help. The church is a strength God has given us to complete the journey. But remember I said carry as well. Brothers and sisters, when the one hurting comes, don't you dare look at them and tell them, hey, just catch up. Don't do like I do sometimes and sigh and walk back with a look of frustration. We're all broken, right? Right? When we act in those negative ways, we have forgotten our brokenness. And it's revealing itself in our very actions. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So God's strength is shown through the church as we remember, remind, call out, and carry. But I love this part just as much. The strength God gives us along the way as we walk and live for Him spills over to bless those around us. Even if they aren't going the same way, as we walk through the valley, all around us springs up life-giving water, rain coming down, and others are blessed by it. We should literally get up each morning thinking, how can I be a spring of life today? If you're at home with your children, how can you be a spring of life? When you talk with your neighbor, how will you be a spring of life? At work, at the store, at sheets, that one's mainly for me. How will you be a spring of life? As you go down the road towards God, living for Him, towards His kingdom, look and see who He places you, places in your path to go to. And then be a spring of life to them. Maybe... They'll join us on the journey. But have you ever asked where you can be best used as a spring of life? Since I'm leaving today, I'll bring this one up. We can often scratch an option from the list because we don't feel led somewhere. Be careful. There's a lot of things God calls me to that I don't feel led to do. Have we ever stopped to think what it means? Just because I don't feel led doesn't mean it isn't a direction I should go. I am not saying you should be unwise. But I'm saying, think of it a different way. Let me give you one. Instead, what if we looked at the skills we have that God has given us? Students, listen to this one. And then, we just went and served wherever we could. Can you work remotely? Maybe you could be helpful in the plant in Concord. Could you be useful in Montenegro, Moldova, Ireland? I know of a brother right now who is going from Fuquay to Raleigh just to reach a large population of refugees in our county. What about reaching the neighborhoods that aren't safe? You do know that you are no safer in your bed than, you, than in a foxhole if the warrior king holds you in his hands, right? Right? But even if you stay in Fuquay, the nations are all around us. I bet you didn't know that there's a huge population of Indian students who come to Campbell every year. They come here and they go right back to India. What if we found a way to befriend them, point them to Christ, and then they go back to India and they point others to Christ? It's here. The opportunities are here. When the church is a spring of life, living in God's strength, it is shocking to the outside world. My father-in-law is a wonderful man, but he would tell you he doesn't trust the Bible. On more than one occasion, though, he has said that he sees our church function as a family. Do you know why this is? Because you have moved his furniture. You have fixed his lights. You have given him books you have come in droves to my son's first birthday party at his home. You brought meals to us and to his mother-in-law when she was diagnosed with cancer. He has seen you serve us and serve him even when it meant time and effort you could be giving for something else. He has seen you as a spring of life. I still believe that your witness in walking with our family, will, will or could, I pray it's will, lead j to salvation. Notice the end of verse 7, though, and we'll finish up with this. Those who get, go to God will get to Him. If we are going to God, He has promised He will give us strength to get there. No one who is His will fall from His hands. Rest in that today. But consider Jesus one more time as we get ready to close. He walked the earth towards the temple in Jerusalem like so many before Him. Why? So He could die. You see, we deserve to die because of our disobedience to God. But God showed His love for us by sending Jesus to die in our place. Most people still don't want God. But even if they do, they need Jesus to be the one who dies in their place. We have to go tell them. Jesus overcame death and rose again so that we could live for God and with God, so that we could long for Him. Listen to this from God's Word. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Now the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus defeated death for us and for others that need to hear. In light of that, consider the last phrase of verse 9. Look on the face of your anointed one. You see the writer calls out He stops in the middle of the psalm as if he's afraid he will not get to God. He knows he can only get to God through God's anointed one, his chosen king. The king, for the writer and for us, is the way to God. Jesus said, I am the way. Getting to God requires going through the king, the gentle warrior king, Jesus. Friend, if you long to get to God... To live for him, Jesus is the way to him. Jesus stands with open arms and welcomes you to be part of his kingdom, to turn to him today. Feel free to come to me or someone else here to ask more about how to live for and long this gentle warrior king. So, Redeemer, we're 13. In the next 13 years, will we live more worthy of him than the first 13? hope not less. We will live more for him if we are longing to get to him. Since those first people left the garden and chose their own way, we have all been going. We are all longing. Because of Jesus, we can one day walk back into the place where God dwells, back into the garden, and all of our greatest longings will be fulfilled in him, the gentle warrior king. The valley of death the Valley of Baca will be behind us. We will be with God the Father and the Son, our perfect rest and joy in heaven, our sanctuary. Is that our deepest longing? Let's live and long for God, Redeemer, so that we will be worthy of our calling. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your kindness to us. Thank you that you have made a way for us through your Son, Jesus. Father, help us to love you more, to long for you more, to live for you more faithfully. Help us to be more like you. Cause heaven, cause Christ, cause yourself to grow more and more in our eyes as we walk towards you. And Lord, help us to point others to you, to invite them on the journey and allow them to come to know you, the gentle, and mighty warrior king as well. Thank you for your care for us and your blessings upon us. Please be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Community Church in Fuquay, Verena, North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission.
1: For more sermons, we invite you to visit us online at RedeemerNC.org.